Welcome. This is Karen Motokaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet. All week long, when I would start a session with a client, they all wanted to know about my most recent trip because it's kind of a big deal. And so I'm partly recording this so that they can hear it instead of us using their time in their coaching session about my trip, but I'm here to share it with all of you because my key learning, once I came back and was home for about 24 hours, I realized that I couldn't have done this trip at any other time in my life. It took to me getting 50, doing the work that I've done to be able to do this trip. So I'll explain this. I'm really grateful. If you had asked me a year ago, was I going on this trip? There would be no way It was something that came about really just not that many months ago that this decision was made to go. So if you don't know, I'm half Korean and that's a really complicated relationship I have with myself with that and growing up, you know, for most of my life, I thought of myself as being biracial and I did a podcast interview with Charlie Gilkey back in 2020 and actually realized in that interview that I'm multiracial, right? I'm half Korean, but I'm a whole bunch of other stuff. I'm Irish, Scotch, German, Italian, Portuguese. I'm a lot of things. So I used to say that I was a mutt, but I'm also very white facing, right? So going back to Korea, there was a huge reckoning for me to go and to do this trip. There were 20 of us that went from the US to Seoul. It was quite the trip, you all. So here's how it started. It was actually last summer, we had a reunion with my cousins. It was kind of brought up. Some cousins wanted to go and my sister wanted to go on this trip. And again, like I wasn't, I really wasn't interested. I didn't know if it could work out because some of the texts had gone around the timeline wouldn't work in our family. We have kind of small bits of time because of my, my daughters and their collegiate swimming time of when we can travel and it wasn't lining up. So I wasn't attached. Thanksgiving happened. We hosted. It was fun to have a whole bunch of people in our home again and, you know, to have family there. And that's when it got negotiated to go on this trip. And actually in there, at one point, even before we had landed on it, one of my cousins said to me, well, Corinne, how about your family and my family go in August and your sister and these other cousins go at this other time because our schedules don't align. They can go in July. And I thought, okay, fine. And the kids came back, they were gone and they came back and my daughter sat down at the table and I have no idea how she did it, but she negotiated it to be at spring break and was like, look, and put this really complicated with, gosh, what were it? There's six cousins in all with our families. And then my mom. So there's like seven different households that would be going on this trip. That's how it started to evolve. And everyone's like, okay, I think we can do it. Let's see how this could work. And we didn't all have the same spring break. Only the college students did. So everybody disbanded, was kind of like on this high, and then it all fell apart. And the significance for you all is you may have this great plan where everybody's on board and the excitement of a holiday and everybody gathering, and you think, yes, we're going to do this. 
And then <laughs> within like five days, it all falls apart and it's not going to happen. And I kid you not, I was driving to the airport for a different trip with my husband and I was going to back channel and call up one of my cousins to get her to help me get this all reorganized. And my husband said something brilliant. This was like a whole team effort, y'all. He said, you know, I think it's best if you call your sister and ask her to go and our two families will go and we'll take your mom and it'll be about taking your mom back to Korea because my mom's Korean. She hasn't been there since 1990. And my sister and I have never been. Her kids have never been. My daughters went back when they were in fifth and third grade and they did this exchange with some friends in our community. But for us to be able to bring her back to her country for a visit and for her to be able to be proud and show people there her to her daughters and their families, that was a really significant thing. So I called my sister and she felt a little guilty because she didn't want to like, you know, exclude people because some people absolutely couldn't go is what they told us. And I said, I get it. This isn't a cousin's trip though. It's about our mom. And she agreed. And then I wrote a text out to the group and and I, you know, was got really clear about what our intention was and that, of course, everybody was invited. It's my old saying of it's an invitation, not an obligation and nor an exclusion of others. And I understand it's not an optimal time with everybody's calendars, as well as I mean, we're talking this is now the beginning of December, as well as doing this major international trip during spring break. You know, nobody jumped on board. One cousin, actually, he's like, we, we've been committed. We're going to do it. We're going Everybody else was like, they understood, no worries. And I kid you not, over the next month, more and more cousins started to make it happen and it shifted. And that is how we ended up with 20 of us from the U.S. in Korea. And there were seven different households from the U.S. who went back to Korea together. So here's the thing, a little bit of backstory is that my mom is one of five kids. She was one of five children. She was the second in her family. And her sister had passed away, you know, a year and a half ago. And that's kind of what brought all us cousins back together, especially, you know, after COVID and stuff. But my mom's 82. And I was trying to wait until like my kids graduated from college. Like, let's go in 2024. I'll have a whole lot more flexibility once they're done with school and swimming. But one of the concerns is my mom is 82 and she's in good health, but she's 82. And so, you know, we kind of felt like it was really important to get this done sooner than later. And the last time she'd been there was in 1990. So was that 33 years ago, right? It's quite a bit of time. And she had immigrated to the U.S. in 1968. So the Korea she left and then the Korea that she got to go visit in the 80s and early 90 were very different than what she grew up with. And what was it going to be like come 2023? And then on top of that, what made this even more meaningful, I think, for her was that in the 70s, she helped her mother and brother immigrate and sister, along with her sister's family, immigrate to the U.S. Here's the thing that I didn't realize until my youngest, who is a history major, and she's been doing some writing some papers about, you know, Asian history and our family's history, and I've been able to read them, is I didn't realize until now being like 50 years old of how hard it was for my mom and the stress on our family or the financial stress because our family was really struggling economically at the time. It was really important to my mom and my dad supported it to have her family come and immigrate and, you know, really help her brother to, you know, try to have a better life. 
because back then California had such an amazing educational system in the university. So for me, when they immigrated and lived with us, I think for about six months, and I was probably five years old, like I was, it was preschool and then kindergarten. And I was delighted. Like those are some of the, my happy, happy memories as a kid of having all these people there what I thought was interesting food, right? I didn't realize he was eating dried squid or whatever I was eating, but it was just fun. And there were all these people there. So it, for me, was delightful. And I actually learned how to speak Korean. And I went to elementary school with my Korean cousins and got to interpret for them. So there was a lot of delight at that period of my life. So the cousins that were going were cousins who my mom had helped immigrate to the U.S., with this idea of being able to get educated, get a better life and, and to be able to watch them with their families. And, and, you know, gosh, I feel like almost concerned because, you know, people can hate immigration so much, but they came and they were contributing members to society and are right. And we have our children who have gone to college and graduated and been born here, but it was a really special time back then. And to be able to go back and my mom to have this family with her, that Because of a decision she made back in the 60s, the ripple effect it had on the rest of us, right? The ripple effect it had on her direct family of origin, you know, some eight or 10 years later. And then to be able to have to her nieces and nephews for for myself and my sister to be born, it's pretty profound. Here we are going back to Korea in 2023 And I had many opportunities, like in the 80s, my dad was doing a lot of work there and manufacturing there. So I had opportunities to go and I didn't have any interest. And that's that's another show entirely. A lot of it just had to do with some cultural programming, the racism that I had to deal with. So when we were going to Korea, like I got really clear, it, it wasn't a vacation, right? This was about my mom. It wasn't about what did Corinne want. It was about my mom. And I thought about what did I want from this experience? And as I talked about in the previous show about travel and being busy, there are times that I know that um, when I'm traveling, it's not necessarily about me. It doesn't mean I don't get some nice side benefits, right? Or I don't feel good by supporting others because I do, I get fulfillment from that, but being really clear. So I knew this wasn't a vacation, And I didn't know what the constraints were going to be on my mom. I didn't know like how much the travel was going to impact her. We left on a Saturday. We returned back on a Sunday. So I think it was like eight days, but you lose a day of travel. We're on the ground about seven days, six full days, and then a half day on each end. But it was a lot, right? And to have a 16 hour time change, I didn't know how this was going to affect my mom and impact her. I knew I was going to be pretty tired. I didn't know how it was going to be for her. So what I got really clear on is what I wanted from this experience. And it was seeing Korea through my mother's eyes and bringing her back to her homeland to share her country with us, as well as her daughters and grandchildren with her country and family in Korea. Her brother has moved back and lived there for the last 17 years and is remarried. And she had a cousin who she grew up with, who came and visited us. We had dinner and he brought his son and grandson and and their wives, right, to dinner. So it was this nice homecoming that had happened. So as we were going through the week, my one of my daughters said, she goes, mom, I, I don't see this as a vacation. I see this trip as a family field trip. 
she was able to put words on something that was exactly what I was looking for. It was, I was trying to have understanding, right? There's, I was coming with a lot of curiosity and trying to understand and put more together of my family heritage. I don't speak Korean. So over the last 10 years, there were things that I've learned that I wouldn't have known because I don't speak the language, right? So learning more about that, seeing, being on this land that my mother grew up on. And that was huge being able to say, this is a family field trip, right? I knew I wanted to go and spend time with my cousins and reconnect with some of them because we live in different parts of the world or we have different, you know, our kids have grown and we're at all these different stages of life. The beauty is, is that the six cousins who went were really in total, the whole group is eight years apart. So we're pretty close in age, right? There's a beautiful thing about that. And by having it be a family field trip, it was a huge mindset shift for my family to look at it that way. Cause it wasn't this angst of what are we going to do? Or is it going to be enough? Are we going to see these sites? Or what about me? And my kids were really beautiful in being of service, you know, spending time with their grandmother you know, and being really clear about it was the least selfish that I've ever seen my kids be, which is pretty phenomenal, right? They, they were fantastic. And to be able to go through that and be patient and, you know, when you're going someplace with 20 people, it's a lot. And as you're trying to figure it out and you're all dealing with jet lag. So that was really the focus. And then being together, right? And giving that focus for my mom, The other thing that became beautiful about having it be a family field trip was it was a clarity in what to do. As everybody was trying to make these plans and figure out what to do and maximize time, right? And it's a big trip and where we'd go. And one cousin wanted to go to this beach, Pusan. And I'm like, okay, you know, like how long does it take to get there? And then another cousin said, Corinne, that would be like landing in San Jose, getting on a train and going to LA and coming back in the day. Again, remember what I said about my mom, like I didn't know what her capacity was. I know that my capacity as a 50-year-old self doesn't have that in California. So definitely we're not going to have that in Korea, right? So we axed that part out. And when I went to ask my mom, she definitely didn't want to go to Pusan because that's where she was a war refugee as a 10-year-old and was really, really hungry. And she's like, I don't want to open those memories. So as she got more clear of what she didn't want, and was able to help us figure out what we could do and couldn't do within the constraints, right? One thing that she did want was to get a wallet in Korea. That was really, really important to her. And to my mom's credit, within the first 10 minutes of being in a market, she got this beautiful wallet that she liked. And then I think 10 minutes later, she got a purse. She like got the things that she wanted. And then the thing, the other thing that became really important to her was to, we all as a group wanted to go see this palace And she grew up right outside one of the gates. And so while we went into the palace, into the courtyard area, she was very determined to go and see where her home had been. And that is probably going to be one of the most memorable things for me was when we got to that gate outside of the palace and the realization that she was back there. And I mean, her house was no longer there. A new building was there. I just saw it sink into her that she had come back home. That is priceless for me. And, you know, if you saw us on the street, it's not something that you could take a picture on Instagram and post and be like, oh, look at this. Isn't this amazing? 
But that experience, that's what this trip was for me, was experiences like that. It was those moments, those moments where you're like, wow, I could feel it and I could feel it so deep. I was really clear, right, about seeing Korea through my mom's eyes, about going back with her to her homeland, about her showing us or sharing with us her country, as well as sharing, you know, like sharing her family, being proud of her family, who either she gave birth to or helped immigrate, right, who she was an influential person in their life and bringing back to her country and saying, here's part of what I've been able to create. Here's part of, she didn't say this, but like almost like her own legacy of her impact, right, in the world or with her family. So that was really the trip. I mean, that that's the essence of it. And there were some different things that we did, but it was really about a family field trip. And really for me, it was about being with my family and being with the different cousins, being with the different kids, right? seeing the different people, hearing the conversations. One of the things in order to be able to have this experience, right, I got really clear about, okay, what am I going to need? And I knew sleep was going to be really important. The culture that I've been brought up in, there's a lot of stuff that you do out of obligation. Hence my saying, it's an invitation, not an obligation. It's like my own little rebellion, right, about against like my cultural programming. So I believe in invitations. I don't believe in obligations. And I also don't believe in being emotionally responsible for others because the toll, the cost on me is not pretty, right? Like it's, and it's not pretty for others. Like I get really angry. So I have this boundary around it. And so, you know, we had flown across the world, gotten in and then getting to the hotel with all of us. My uncle had picked us up at the airport and then we took the shuttle to back to the hotel And we got there and it was by then probably nine o'clock at night, Korea time, which is, I don't even know what time it is here, but so we pretty much traveled through the night and my mom was exhausted and she did not sleep much on the plane and he wanted to go to dinner. And I thanked him and I just said, you know, work, my mom needs to go to sleep and my family needs to go to sleep. So we were a family that did not go. So because I don't have some of that cultural programming, or I choose to be very deliberate about not allowing that to be a prison wall in my life, I was able to, you know, not do it. And maybe I get judged, maybe I don't, but I was really clear about it. I thanked him and we went to sleep, which was really, really important because we needed to be able to go through the week, right? And so that is something that I made sure that we did. The other thing I did was that I exercised. There was, because the first morning I I did wake up and it was quite early and others were sleeping in the room. And so I got up and I went to the gym. It was a great gym and did some exercise and, you know, some movement and stuff. And that was fantastic. And then I think it took a couple days. The next day I found out that there was this sauna at our hotel and it had a dry sauna, a wet sauna, and then this whole Korean bath system. Unfortunately, my cousin took me through this because I was a little intimidated by the environment. And she went, we went through it together, which was great because after that, I started becoming more comfortable with it. And then my daughter wanted to do it. So she, I went through it with her and then she took my other daughter through it. But I pretty much lived at the sauna throughout the week in this cream baths. And oh my gosh, I was telling my girlfriend about it the other night. And she's like, Corinne, there is one in Sac, So maybe we'll be heading out there. But 
those were things that I needed. They became part of like my daily recipe. And so that I could be supportive to my mom so that I could, you know, be with a lot of different people with all these competing demands, right? And priorities that we all had. And the other thing that I did was before I left, because I was like, okay, there's going to be shit shows, right? You're traveling with 20 people across the world. There's going to be shit shows. Like I have this saying, I live an amazing life and there's shit shows everywhere. And in fact, Monday morning when I woke up, I put on my shit show supervisor t-shirt to wear out into the world of Korea and Seoul, Korea. And my husband goes, um, I, I don't think that's a really good shirt to wear. I don't think it's culturally appropriate. And I just said to him, I was not, I was a little snarky. I was like, thank you for your opinion. And he said it again, like I hadn't heard. And I was like, thank you for your opinion. And I chose to wear it. Some of my nieces and stuff and nephews, they're like, that is a great shirt. <laughs> and then one of my cousins goes, I said, yeah, you know, I, there were some concerns about like what the messaging is. And one of my cousins goes, Corinne, they probably can't read it. It's written in American, right? It's written in English. I had different shirts with words on it through the week. And they had a different theme. Like the next day was the Ted Lasso. Don't be judgmental. Be curious. I think that's what it says, right? And I think the last day I was there was my actually I can. So every day, I mean, all of my t-shirts have words on it. It's kind of being appropriate doesn't really work within my wardrobe, especially of what I packed. So one aspect is I manage the risk of knowing that there's going to be problems. I didn't have magical thinking of if we just do this all right and it's all perfect, there won't be any problems and all 20 people will get along. That is a problem going into any situation with family of origin, 20 people in an international foreign city where nobody speaks the language and there's competing priorities. That was really important was the managing the risk with the shit show supervisor. And then the other was the mindset of I was responsible for creating my experience, right? Like, so I got to determine the experience I wanted to have. I'm okay for things to be messy. I believe that there's beauty in the mess but I also get to create my experience. And that's what happened about like the sauna that any of the pre-planning talks that we had, I didn't know there was a sauna. I didn't pay attention to that about the hotel, right? I was just trying to figure out like, how are we going to go from the hotel or, you know, which hotel were we going to stay at? That kind of thing. And how was I going to get to the airport or how are we going to get back from the airport in San Francisco? And those are the bigger things. I figured once we got there, I'd figure the other stuff out. The mindset that I had that I was responsible for creating my experience, that really helped me stay focused on me versus on what other people were doing or not doing. Now I'm going to share some lows. So the lows that I had was being exhausted at the hotel upon arrival. I had another trip right before this. I went straight from a trip to this, which I flew into San Francisco airport from a previous trip and then went from San Francisco to Seoul. That is just the messiness of life. This other trip had been planned before. It was just one of these things. There was no way around it. So that's what happened. I was a little concerned that what happened if our flight missed our Korea flight, but it didn't. But the other thing was that I worked a lot that week, right? And I was really snarky and grumpy. And finally, at the end, was easier to get agitated by. So that's a low. I was reactionary sometimes to logistics planning, (laughs) that was not great of me. And then the others was the AQI. Like I was surprised. I didn't realize that Korea had such bad air, but the AQI later in the week got really high. 
And I'm astounded that I even know what AQI is, air quality index, but that's because I lived in California during the last five or so years with fire season. And then my other low, which I think is just more humorous because I want to end on a humorous low is I was kicked out of three cabs. <laughs> I get into a cab and I try to get them to take me to someplace and they're like, no, no. And they would, they would have me go out. Sometimes it's because the cab was called for somebody else. I, that's what I could figure. I don't know. I was kicked out of three cabs. I think it's a kind of funny story. Again, I get to create my experience. So I turn it to humor. Some of my highs. So like my kids and their cousins, so the 20 year olds, they decided they wanted to go karaoke. And the thing that was really cool about that was they actually wanted everybody to go. So we had an eight year old all the way in my mom being 82. We had a, an 11 year old, a 15 year old, a bunch of 20 year olds. And then those of us that are in our forties and fifties, and then my mom at 82. So those kind of the age ranges, but they thought it'd be cool to include everybody. I was like, wow, they're inclusive. So we went to this karaoke place. It was, you know, <laughs> I guess that would be another low. Our concierge said it would take 10 minutes. It took 30. We found it. We all eventually got there in our separate cabs because when you have 20 people, it takes a number of cabs to get there. You know, and then I'm trying to figure out how to make this controller board. I've never done karaoke. I've never been to karaoke place. I'm trying to figure out how to make it work. And my cousins come in, two of my cousins, because they were out and about and they come in. And I'm a little frustrated with the board. And I say to them, I go, what's that song that we used to sing? I go, the bunny song. And somebody goes, Santoki? And I'm like, yes. And we all belted out in this karaoke room just to each other. And we sing it. That was one of my highs. I have not sang that song since I was in elementary school. For those of you who've been listening a really long time to my show and heard that interview I did with Simon Sinek, and we, I talked about being that kid in kindergarten singing this Korean song, that's the song, right? So this was like a really full circle moment. That is one of my ultimate highs from this trip. So it wasn't about the sights that I saw. It wasn't about, you know, something fancy. It wasn't about the markets. It was about the people, right? My mom being at the gate across the street from where her home was by the palace, us singing the Santoki song at karaoke. You know, another experience was, another high was driving with my cousins and my mom and my uncle to my grandmother's memorial. And all the conversations that were happening in this 15-passenger van, you know, sometimes it'd be a little snarky, sometimes, you know, but it'd be funny or we'd bring up old stuff. That was so meaningful. The other thing was my husband and I, one night we returned back. It was actually that karaoke night and we all came back in our separate cabs or, you know, because we're trying to load them up and we got to the hotel and my cousin was there with her son who was eight, but they were staying in a different hotel. And I said, oh, we've got him. We'll stay with my nephew. And my 11 year old nephew was asking all these questions, you know, about my dad, his grandfather, who he never met about, you know, growing up with his mom and it was so cool. That was definitely a high, right? Here, here's somebody who most of his life has been pretty quiet. And he asked really great, thoughtful questions with such curiosity, right? To have understanding. It was, it was so heartfelt. The other highs that I had were I'd have breakfast with one daughter or the other daughter different days. And there were these one-offs and being able to have one-on-one -on -one time with them. My mom, seeing my mom, we were after dinner, we were hanging out at the lounge and her cousin and her were at the end and watching them talk, 
you know, in this deep conversation where they just both sank into it. That was another one of my highs. The Korean bath that I went to and the women and how comfortable they were in their skin. I was like, wow, look at these women. Like it was so fantastic to be around that experience. And we went to the DMZ, which is the demilitarized zone. And we had the most fantastic tour guide named Cool. It's with VIP Travels. So if you're going to Korea, I highly, highly recommend Cool and going through VIP Travels. I've never been like a big tour person, but this was fantastic actually to go. And it's made me rethink about how I may want to do some other stuff when I travel. Cool was amazing. He was hilarious. He made something that was hard to be a bit more pleasurable. And the demilitarized zone is where the, it's between the North and South Korea. But those are my highs. So back in June of 2020, when I decided to celebrate my 50th birthday all year, I didn't realize that this was going to be part of that year, right? I didn't know what experiences. I had some ideas. You know, I knew I was going to be traveling last summer and I knew I was going to Italy in the fall, but I didn't know that this was like going to be part of the life I was going to have this year, right? I just knew I wanted to celebrate in This trip, while it was a family field trip and not a vacation, it was also an opportunity for me to celebrate me. I learned a lot about my family, my heritage, where I'm from. I have a better understanding about myself, about my tone, right? There is so much learning that I have about my family of origin. And again, I couldn't have done this trip before being 50. And it wasn't the age. It's so much of where I am in my own personal development and involvement. Back in June of 2022, when I turned 50, I didn't realize I was going to Korea, a place I've never been, and the messiness of my family history and the racism that I had faced my entire life. Upon return, I realized that it wasn't until this time in my life that I would be ready and have the skill sets to go on this trip, to be with 20 family members in our travels, to mostly (laughs) remain as my 50-year-old self. Wasn't always, but mostly remain as my 50-year-old self. There was a planning meeting where I reverted to being a rebellious teenage self. It was not a perfect movie trip, and it was an amazing experience for me. I created an experience of a lifetime. And I'm so grateful. This doesn't mean that there weren't shit shows. There were. And I created an experience of a lifetime. My friend, my invitation for you is to create experiences of a lifetime for you. This is an experience that I created. We can create experiences in our day-to-day lives, in our ordinary lives, The highs that I shared with you were things that I could have done in the U.S. Well, not my mom's home, right? Childhood home. But that connection with others, the people, the meaning, that's the experience that I created. The understanding of myself, my family, that's the experience that I created. So my invitation for you is for you to create an experience of a lifetime. And really, that's about connecting with you. And that can be done anywhere. I'm smelling big for you. Hey, 
If you enjoy listening to this podcast, you'll love my weekly emails. I know you're thinking, Corinne, really? Do I want another email in my overflowing inbox? Yes, you do. Yippee, skippy, you do. These are short, they're sweet. On Fridays, I send out the Friday podcast. It's a great reminder that there's a new show and it comes straight into your inbox of the latest episode. Awesome. You click on it, you go straight because we all need reminders. We have busy full lives. And then on Sundays, I have my Sunday love column. And these are emails I write from the heart. They're filled with love. We need more love. We all do, myself included. These are short emails where you get a quick takeaway so you can incorporate this into your life because people often want to know what to do and how to do it. And maybe sometimes it's a story that you get, or there's like one time I wrote about the 10 ways to practice gratitude. And that became such a great tool when one of the readers was struggling in the middle of the night, because it can be a scary place in our brains in the middle of the night. And she remembered the email that I sent about 10 ways to practice gratitude. And she was able to practice gratitude and fall back asleep. And that was an awesome lesson for her to incorporate into her life. Go to the show notes and there's a link in the show notes where you can sign up and get these emails in your box. Never been so wide awake.